Hey guys, we've got a very special episode today where I got to participate in a really awesome roundtable conversation talking about what is it like in this crazy market environment right now with interest rates rising, inflation rising, supply chain issues happening, um, private equity uh, issues happening, uh, Amazon aggregators struggling. What's happening? Is, it, is now the right time to sell your business? What is changing? What can we do to prevent that uh, those issues from, you know, crippling us in, in the next couple of years. And so I uh, had a great conversation on the Truth About Exits podcast um, with the FBA broker and their team. And we just kind of gave a market update of like what we're seeing, what we're hearing from clients. Uh, and we just shared a ton of really helpful, uh, I think helpful, good ideas about uh, things that you can actively do right now to you know, improve your profitability, to bulletproof your business and uh, improve. So hope you enjoyed this conversation that we had. Uh, we recorded it on June 28, 2022, um, so I think you're really going to enjoy this info. Thanks. Welcome back to another episode of Truth About Exits. I'm Marissa Began, VP of Marketing at the FBA Broker. Here at the FBA Broker, we help e-commerce business owners sell for the highest price and best deal terms. Today, we have three extremely qualified experts to speak about dun, 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 the state of the market and how you can survive and thrive in a down market. This is going to be jam-packed, so grab a nice big cup of coffee or cozy slippers and lay back for a riveting conversation. Without further ado, let's hear from our experts. We have Jeff and Julie also from the FBA Broker, so we'll start with you two, and then we'll save our special guest, the other Jeff, for last. Julie, why don't you start with a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you do at the FBA Broker. Well, hi guys, I'm Julie Saragusa. I'm VP of Sales here at the FBA Broker, I'm based in Chicago. And I come from a, a long career in real estate and lending. Um, and then I transitioned into uh, becoming a brand owner back in 2018. I helped my son launch a brand on Amazon. Um, and through that, a lot of, met a lot of people, attended a lot of events and did a lot of networking and became connected with the FBA broker. And I'm really excited to be a part of what's going on here over the last couple of years. Excited for this conversation. Jeff, why don't you finish off the FBA broker side? I'm colleagues with Julie, so I'm also on the deal team here at the FBA broker. Um, and my background is more in um, content marketing, SEO. That's sort of the world that I came from. And um, a bit of a unique path to get here. Um, we actually had an exit in, in 2019 and we first tried to sell on our own. We got connected with a buyer and we thought everything was great and we started to push forward and then the deal completely collapsed and fell apart with the buyer totally pushing his agenda on us and it got really uncomfortable and we were a bit, bit beat up after that, a bit broken and um, uh, we had known Corin, um, founder of the FBA broker for uh, many years for something unrelated, just kind of personal personally crossed paths and, and became friends. So then um, we sort of leaned on him for some advice and um, and then we ended up using a broker, but we're not, we're in the e-commerce space, we didn't use the FBA broker, but we were uh, found a broker to use and had a wonderful exit. And um, after that, I was just, you know, kind of enamored with the process and, you know, really uh, dispelled a lot of myths for me and, um, I really wanted to get into the space and, and help sellers not make the same mistakes and at least, you know, get a, a good exit like like we had and not sort of make the same mistakes that we did. So that was kind of my path to, to this. I've been here for a few years now. Jeff, you want awesome. to finish us off? Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, my name is Jeff Lieber. I'm the founder of Turnkey Product Management. And I got into Amazon in 2014 where I launched my own pet products uh, brand. You know, just a single product at the time and built that into a brand, struggled for the first year or two, and then launched a baby brand. And then I started actually, uh, my buddy from college started a sunglasses company and they were killing it on Kickstarter, Shopify, but they were really struggling on Amazon. And so they you know, saw me doing well there and they said, can you just like help us out? Maybe can you manage it for us? So I was like, sure. So I just did it for them, groomed over six figures uh, pretty quickly in a, in a few months and then uh, you know, they started paying me to, to manage it for them. And then they referred a few friends and all of a sudden I had like seven clients, you know, quote unquote, that I was helping manage their Amazon. And I realized like, wow, one, this is like a lot to manage. Now I have clients and, you know, two brands. And so, uh, but I also saw that like, wow, like I'm really good at the, the Amazon and the team, the team side, but not so much on the, you know, creating, inventing products, things like that. So I actually sold my uh, my two brands. So I have had an exit 
uh, before a couple of exits. And uh, so I had that experience of, of selling that, that business to go all in on turnkey. That was around 2017. And then I really built the infrastructure for turnkey to become, you know, the Amazon marketing agency that it is today, where we help uh, physical product brands and you know, we sell over eight figures per year on Amazon. And uh, yeah, excited to talk about the, the crazy market that we're in right now. Let's jump in and talk about the elephant in the room, the state of the market. I am excited because we have two very different perspectives here. Um, Julie and Jeff, you are yes, sell side advisors, but you also have worked and talked with and built relationships with buyers for years and years. So I think it'll be really helpful for a lot of business owners to hear what buyers are seeing, what buyers are feeling, as well as uh, Jeff with Turnkey and your experience with your clients, what the sellers are seeing. So why don't we start with the buy side, Jeff and Julie, what are the buyers talking about? Are they still acquiring? Have multiples shifted? Let's just jump in. What are we seeing? Groups are still buying. There are still buyers out there, but the landscape has changed considerably um, over the last several months. Um, so there are, I think, a few different camps. You've got the buyers who are on a pause completely. And for right now, let's let's first talk about the ones that have been making the most noise, the aggregators um, in the space, you know, have been putting out all the press releases that probably most sellers are seeing. So there, there is um, a select few that are on pause right now from buying. Um, and I'd say it's probably under a dozen or so um, on pause from buying FBA businesses. So some of them are still acquiring content sites and other businesses. Um, then you have another group that we've, you know, spoken with that are have decided to really focus on certain verticals. So they're sometimes selling off certain brands that they've acquired that really don't fit their mandate now and they're focusing more and they're just being much more patient about the deals that they see. There's not as much of a rush to buy things, but to be very um, strategic and to be more patient with what they're acquiring. And they have, I think, stricter mandates now from their investors on what mm. they're buying to make sure that they're profitable as they grow rather than just buying as much as they can. And then I think there's still another camp that we're seeing, Jeff, right? A lot of new groups that are coming into the space where they have raised equity and debt and they need to deploy capital. So they're anxious to buy, but they're also still being um, very strategic and conscientious about the strategy they're using. And it's not yeah. quite as rushed with as we were seeing in the past. It's a huge time for recalibration with that and and aggregators, you know, the first one, I mean, they were, again, you're right, like they're making the most headlines over the last couple of years and they're making the headlines today for the wrong reasons, but people tend to forget that aggregators make up a fairly small percentage of the overall buyer pool. Are buyers still buying? Yes. Will profitable businesses sell? Yes, they will sell in any market condition. They've sold in multiple market conditions in the past and they will continue to do so. So I don't, Yes, buyers are still buying. If you've got, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily change any plans. Like if you were preparing your business for sale, um, it's just, uh, you know, it wasn't like before where it's like, oh, I've got an FBA business is profitable. I'm going to run to the aggregators and try to get the best price. It could, because now, yeah, like they're recalibrating, like they're becoming a bit more category focused and they're saying, okay, we're really successful in these categories. So let's just double down on these categories and forget the rest and not just buy any profitable business just because um, we wanted to buy it before somebody else did. Right. So um, yeah, they're, they're refocusing. I don't see a huge like doomsday scenario. Yes, they have money to spend and they need to deploy that capital profitably. Um, so they're just taking a bit of a harder look at specific categories and that kind of thing. Do you have any other predictions? You kind of mentioned um, that maybe it doesn't have to shift your exit plan if you are considering selling, but any other predictions you see at least in the next six to 18 months on that buyer side before we switch over? 12 to 18 months. Like if we look back at the last 12 to 18 months, it was, it was pretty nuts. But if we look a little bit beyond that, I mean, buyers were buying businesses long before the aggregators came along and shook up the space and buyers will continue to buy. But I think there's going to be a shift back towards um, more of like a, a private equity criteria of what they wanted to see from brands, right? They like private equity, it like the aggregators the last couple of years have made it okay to be 100% Amazon focused. That was their jam. That's what they loved. That's what they wanted to pay for. For a private equity buyer, they're not so comfortable like it's all about risk management right now right and if you have a single channel risk like if you're 100 on amazon then they're going to pay accordingly so 
but private equity model was kind of built on that 70 30 uh, idea where you know like if there's 30 percent of your income at, or, or your revenue at least coming from another channel then it's it really started to mitigate the risk and it started to affect the value upwards so i think we'll probably see a bit more of a shift back to to that the other buyers who are still in the space and who maybe were sitting on the sidelines when the when we had the frenzy with the aggregators um you would have you know the the private equity buyers um so the financial buyers strategic buyers and then also the individual buyers who maybe they already own an e-commerce business and they they have some cash and they'd like to acquire another business. So you still have all of those groups that'll be purchasing. Let's switch over to the sell side. Uh, Jeff, with Turnkey, you were working on the ground level um, with all of your clients. So what are you seeing? What are the consumer behaviors that you're seeing? What have been the biggest changes there? We've seen a shift over the last few months for sure. I mean, we're recording this today, June 28, 2022. Um, so we've seen definitely a shift. Uh, on the supply chain side, you know, obviously it's gotten a lot tougher um, on the first half of 2022. We're seeing obviously lots of uh, delays from China with, you know, COVID related delays, uh, shipping delays, and then obviously container costs and shipping costs have just skyrocketed uh, over the last year or two. And so, um, you know, some of our clients, you know, we, we're talking to them all the time, obviously. And so we've seen that they're starting to feel some of those effects. And so, you know, we've had a, a small uh, set of our clients that, you know, they've run out of stock, they've had inventory delays, they've, you know, had to, to pause, um, or, or just really kind of like, uh, strategically figure out like, wow, like, we're, we're not as bulletproof as we thought because of these supply chain delays. So on the supply side, we're, we're seeing lots of those, those factors. Um, so that's something that you know, we're just trying to work with our our clients as much as possible to plan ahead, plan well ahead. I mean, already start thinking about Chinese New Year um, and, and getting your shipments in, orders in well well ahead of time and you know, communicating with their suppliers, um, you know, to try to make sure that they're getting their product as quickly as possible. Um, another thing that we've seen them do is pivot to try to get a backup supplier, like, you know, um, not just rely on one, but get a secondary supplier that can, that can fulfill products as well uh, if you're in a crunch. Um, but overall on Amazon, I mean, it's still the, the best place, um, the best channel, I believe, to sell. Um, I agree with you, Jeff, that, you know, our best clients and the most sound ones that sleep the best at night are the ones that are multi-channel. They, they're on, you know, Shopify or whatever e-com platform or they're in retail, you know, and Amazon. And so highly recommend that for, uh, for brands as well, because that will increase the value of your business and just help you to, uh, to sleep better at night. But, uh, but yeah, overall, it, it's been uh, good, but we're still seeing a ton of success with, with, uh, with most of our clients on Amazon. And one of our clients we just launched uh, in the last 12 months, we launched them from scratch, right? They weren't even on Amazon at all. They launched over 100K in the first month that we did on Amazon. And then now they're doing over 300K a month and they're incredibly healthy business. So um, if you're doing business the right way, you know, the, the strong businesses will survive. And um, I think just be incredibly sellable, you know, for, for years to come. Do you see a big difference in um, when you talk about sleeping at night to people that have, I don't want to say US-based suppliers, but like suppliers other than China, I guess. Like, do you find that that's happening more and more? People are looking outside of China for, I mean, I have to say China's pretty attractive, right? I mean, they have the whole supply chain pretty sewn up, like it's pretty done for you. And to go off the beaten track to like another country, you know, it might be a bit of a rough start, but do you see anybody kind of thinking that way? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So we've, we've had some clients that they originally were in, in China only, and then they've started looking at, um, at Mexico um yeah. at uh and then you know they, they often try to find in the united states it, it really depends on the niche sometimes it's just it's not financially viable uh yeah. you know for certain products but obviously you know we've got a lot of clients in the supplements and skincare space and so thank goodness they're all you know made in, in the united states and not uh not china so it, it depends on the on the niche but yeah i think it's a great idea to hedge and try to get um a, a supplier lined up a backup supplier in another country because with tariff changes and political changes, you know, you just never know what, what yeah. could ever happen. Um, and uh, you don't want to be solely reliant on one sales channel. 
or one country or one uh, one channel. So I think that's a great idea if you have the bandwidth to do that. Yeah, a lot of buyers do ask, do you have backup suppliers? Have you vetted them? Have you ordered from them yet? You know, have you tested it out? Even though they often like as few suppliers as possible to make it make the supply chain sim simplified, you know, depending on how many products they have, but they always like to hear that there's a backup supplier or two. Some, so yeah, sometimes it's not even a, uh, a do you have, it's like, who is your backup supplier? Like, obviously you have one, right? Like that's kind of the message from the buyer, you know, sometimes it's not like, do you have one? It's, it's like, well, who is it? You know, where are they? Um, how many times have you ordered? Like, it's just almost an expectation at a certain level. What percentage would you say of your clients that getting a backup supplier is kind of a new concept to them? Yeah, I'd probably say over 50% of our clients did not have a backup supplier, but you know, in the last year, year and a half as the, you know, the costs have changed significantly, as I mentioned, and the, and the delays, I would say that the majority of them have made it uh, a focus to, to at least start that process. And some of them have successfully lined up, uh, yeah. you know, secondary suppliers. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, the competitive landscape on the consumer side, right? Like I'm going to develop a product. Well, who else is also making that? How can I make it better? How can I separate myself? All that kind of stuff. But when you're talking about finding backup suppliers, is there competition at the manufacturer level? Like if, if you were to go out to tender, for example, with your widget to say, I'm going to go out to like four or five different suppliers, are they going to compete with each other for the business? Like, I mean, I suppose, again, it all depends on MOQs, but is, do you, I mean, is there some advantage to doing that? hundred percent. I mean, um, you know, when I had my pet products company, I went out to the Canton fair in China. I already had like a, a puppy pad supplier that was good. But then when I went out to, uh, the fair, you know, I just, I was able to meet in one day, right? Like 10 different suppliers of the exact same product type get quotes from all of them. I got one that was significantly lower from everybody else. I hadn't even tested the quality of the product. All I had was the price like written down, yeah. right? Like it was whatever it was, I don't know, 12 cents a pad uh, from that supplier versus like 20 cents a pad. And that was all I needed right there was I went back to my original supplier and said, hey, uh, you know, I've got uh, multiple quotes from, from people lesser than you. One of them's 12 cents and they, they can do the exact same product specs as you. You know, I'm really sorry, but can, can you, you know, can you work with me here? And they matched it, right? Um, so, I mean, uh, and it doesn't, you know, I'm sure the, the same principles can apply um, also to other countries, right? You could, you could go to a supplier in Mexico and just say like, hey, I've got, you know, tw uh, 12 cents a, a unit, you know, plus shipping costs from China. So blah, blah, blah. So I, you know, I really need you to come down or at least meet me in the middle, right? Like it's all a negotiation and, and they yeah. want your business. I think, you know, right now uh, from what we're hearing, a lot of the suppliers are, you know, it's probably not as easy to do that now as years ago because they're so overloaded, right? That, um, you know, they're not as desperate for, for business. They're trying to keep up so that they're not as likely today to give like a super big, big discount or, um, you know, bend over for that. But uh you know, it, it's definitely worth uh, a conversation because you can create that competition and, and most suppliers will play ball. But some sellers seem to forget to do that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, right? It's not something that's top of mind usually. Like you find a good price, you find this. Once you get it all there, it's like, now, okay, I just want the machine to work and yeah. just keep pumping out sales, right? And they sort of forget to keep negotiating all the way down the line yeah. uh, on the back end of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good point. A lot of people set it and forget it. And then they don't realize there's a huge opportunity there um, to get a, a, a cost reduction and increase your profits or create yeah. your business to be more sound with the backup supplier. So that's a great idea. Until there's times like this when it's crunch time and I suppose the supplier's phone is ringing off the hook or yeah. you know, for everyone trying to get a better, a better yeah. So it's something that you should be kind of doing all the time. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. It's like, the, I forget the saying, but it's like the best time to, to negotiate a deal like that is when you don't need it, right? And then once you really need it and you're desperate and it's Chinese New Year, you know, you're not gonna have much leverage. So do it do yeah. it now as opposed to later. And maybe, you know, if they can't get the price down, they could always try to improve the terms mm -hmm. and talk to other suppliers to see who's giving better terms and use that as a, a tactic. Exactly, exactly. It's not always just about the cost, right? Yeah, we had one supplier or one client that had a very long lead time, right? It was like a six month lead time to, to create a product and 
they were paying, I think like 80% up front, 20% on the back. And then they found another supplier that offered way better terms and they, they switched it. They had to put 20% down, 80% upon receipt. So, you know, all that stuff is negotiable and can really help profitability and, and uh, financial viability of companies. And I think they need it more than ever today. It's not all doom and gloom when you're in a down market. There actually are a lot of opportunities. Jeff, you even mentioned the strong businesses, the business that are done well will succeed and thrive in markets like this. So um, I don't know if who wants to start first, but what are some of those other opportunities of being in a market that we're seeing that's fluctuating? Well, we talked about like negotiating all the way through, but I mean, to, to really put your business under a microscope is, I mean, I would say something that should be done all the time anyway. Um, I just, I love this quote from, from Warren Buffett. It's like, if you can't read the scorecard, then you don't know the score. And if you don't know the score, then you can't tell the winners from the losers. I just, I love that quote. And, you know, the scorecard could be whatever metric that you're looking at in the business. It could be your PPC. It could just be your monthly PL that you get from your bookkeeper. It could be whatever. But if you don't know how to read it and you don't know how to understand it, then you're not really sure where some efficiencies in your business might be lacking. So I would say like, you know, using this time to increase like visibility, like whether you're going to use a service like Jeff's or, you know, if you're working with your bookkeeper or whatever, but just being able to see deeper into your business, because we always like to tell our clients, for example, treat every skew as if it's its own micro investment that you are going to invest in and buy. What is its history? What's at the profitability level? What is, you know, the, the trajectory that it's on? Can you model out the future just for, for each and every skew? If you were to hold each and every skew accountable, you know, and now is the time, I think, to, to really do that. I mean, this is the chance that, I mean, a lot of people get very rich in down markets, you know what I mean? Or as a result of down markets, because they, you know, just like the buyer, some buyers are recalibrating. This is the chance to really examine your business. You can cut unprofitable SKUs. Um, you could test your pricing. Like, I don't know, Jeff, if this is like super common, but we've had clients that have um, had pricing like locked in from their supplier for, you know, 12 months, 24 months, whatever they can get. And that enables them to hold their margin. And they, they could increase their price, but they don't have to because they, they can hold their margin. And that's just going to squeeze out competitors because their costs are going up and theirs aren't. And so that just, it gives them the time to do that. But there's lots of different ways. I mean, I'd love to get your take, Jeff, too, on like if people are shifting their ad spend around because this is a golden opportunity to gain market share. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, your idea of the 12 month lock in. Yeah, like all that stuff is negotiable. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I think that's a great tactic if you can try to negotiate that so that they can't raise the price on you um, on your next order. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, yeah, there, look, there's a lot of fear in the overall marketplace, whether people are looking at their uh, investment portfolio, stock market, real estate, uh, interest rates rising. Um, you know, there, there's tough macroeconomic factors, right? And a lot of people are getting scared right now. Um, and honestly, I, I just think it'll be, you know, maybe, maybe a bit of a consolidation over the next couple of years where it's going to weed out a lot of the ultra small players. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of shiny object syndrome, uh, you know, opportunity chasers, right, that have jumped into Amazon in the last couple of years, especially. And, you know, they're just trying to take advantage of this hot market, but they weren't really doing the things that you were just talking about, Jeff, of really looking at your numbers and building a real brand, building a real business, an actual audience, a customer base, uh, relationships with your customers. So I think the people, I think a lot of those businesses will either quit or they'll be driven out of business. And it may not, it may, you know, may have to roll up your sleeves the next year or two. Um, but if you're doing it the right way, building the right business, I just think that, um, you know, there will be a bigger reward in the end. There will be less businesses, you know, around less competition in the next couple of years. That's just my probably guess, my theory. Um, and then, yeah, I think, you know, what you said about like looking at your numbers. Yeah. Now's the time to really look at your P and L look at, you know, how can you 
cut unnecessary expenses, right? And then, yeah, on the advertising side, that's that's a huge area, right? Uh, Amazon PPC ads, Amazon DSP ads, th those are great ways to make a lot of money and make profits, but it's also a great way to lose a lot of money if you're not paying attention to it or if someone on whoever's managing it is incompetent or not an expert at it, right? Um, and so it's, it's really, you know, making sure that is, is looking at your ROI on, on your ad spend, whether it's Facebook ads or TikTok ads or Amazon ads, um, making sure that, you know, there's a true expert managing that, right? Like Amazon PPC and DSP ad, that's one of the core things that we do and manage for our clients. And, you know, every month the goals are changing. Um, and we're, you know, our goal is to hit the goals and the ACOS targets and all of that. So I think it's all fair game to, you know, protect your business and, and uh, look at your numbers and just try to make sure that you're going to be healthy and, and have the cash flow to, to you know, because it could, it could get a little bit more challenging in, in the coming months. So, you know, it might not be a bad idea to, to get lean if you need to. And um, yeah, just be uh, as, and be okay as, with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, mean, exactly. it might be a strain on cash flow, but I mean, there's, I mean, none of this stuff lasts forever, right? It's just who's in the best, if, you know, defensible position to be able to withstand it and what can you do so when you do come out on the other side you're going to have a bigger better business because like at the beginning of covid first thing that happened with most companies like their advertising budget and their marketing budget went like that yeah and realistically the brands that didn't do that are way better off now than they were because they were able to steal back some of that market share and i get it it's a big scary expense when you look at your 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 monthly numbers it's a massive spend and you're like oh i'm gonna take that away but, you know, that's the easy thing to do is look at the biggest number on the P&L and get rid of it. But if that's smart money, like if that is money working for you and generating a return, then yeah, like, but yeah, you're right. You have to have somebody that knows what they're doing. It's one thing to hire somebody to do it because you don't want to do it, but you need to hire people that know what they're doing with it. Um, but that can be a, a massive advantage if you're in a position to be a bit tighter on the cash flow in terms of money in your pocket but spend it wisely to gain some market share. You may need to cut some SKUs that really aren't performing so that you could put more into the ones that are that are your winners. And I think that. that's something that we have people who, who come to us with so many SKUs, but a lot of them aren't profitable. And they say, well, if we continue to grow the business, we'd probably end up cutting some of these SKUs. Well, it's you know a good idea to do that in advance if that's something you, you feel strongly about to have a better shot when you go to market. Or they say, well, these these products they have all they have a lot of potential. I just haven't really focused on them. And it's like, well, if you're not willing to put your money and resources behind it, why would a buyer, you know? Like, so I would just say, cut them loose. You can always relaunch them later, but I mean, you know, trim the fat, cut it loose. Let's focus on the really profitable ones that really drive the business forward and make sure that those listings are optimized. You know. No, I, I, I'm glad you said that because, yeah, a lot of uh, brands that come to us when we first you know, have our initial look at their brand and, and, you know, we hop on a call with them and look at their their whole Amazon storefront and all their SKUs, we very commonly see that they've got one or two products that are like their breadwinner, right? They, they've been their best sellers for years, super dialed in, perfect looking listings, and they're making all their money and profit there. They've got, you know, whatever, eight, 15 other products that you know are great products, I'm sure, but the lazy listings don't have video on the listings, don't have infographics. They just haven't put in the effort, the A plus content, um, all those things. I'm sure their advertising campaigns uh, haven't been built out or focused on those. And so, yeah, to your point, it's like one is make sure it's fully optimized. So that's where we always start, like with a client, is often fixing the rest of those listings. And then, you know, like what you said. If it's optimized and it's still not working after a couple of months, yeah, maybe you do cut it and it's just not worth, you know, the time and effort and money to, uh, to keep that one going and then go, you know, use the 80, 20 rule and, and go all in on, on the winners. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad that you guys brought up that strategy. I, I agree. Sometimes it's, it's hard to zoom out as the crypto people like to say, zoom out, you know what I mean? Zoom out on your skews and be like, really what's <laughs> happening here. So, yeah. Yeah. They're uh, like your babies, each one. <laughs>
Yeah, you all you develop, you know, like if you've developed the product or you've launched it, whatever, you've worked with this product all the way up to launch, you've put some effort into it. But you have to, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Now is the time to think in that silo, right? Like if you're going to have products, fine, you've got your hero product, but what do your clients buy immediately after? And what have they bought immediately before that product? And think within that vertical. And if it doesn't fit and it's not selling and it's not profitable, would you invest in it? Probably not. So let's just put it aside. Like cutting it doesn't mean erasing it from history. I mean, you can always relaunch it. Like you've got all of the IP and all of that kind of stuff, but try a different angle when, you know, under different circumstances. What I love about a lot of these opportunities that we were just throwing around is a lot of these are good practices to do at any time, right? Like you said, like auditing your business, checking the SKUs, what's profitable, how you can optimize other parts of your business. But a lot of people are being forced to do it now, maybe for the first time or on this deep of a level. But this kind of segues into, I want to talk about how to prepare your business, how to thrive kind of in this market. We talked about how to cut expenses and optimize a few things, but um, there are a lot of things that you can do in this time to maintain or grow. And then you're going to come out of here a much more successful business. So I'd like to start maybe Jeff and Julie, if you guys have a few other tips that we haven't talked about in terms of preparing your business, a lot of these are going to be really helpful to show a healthy business coming out of this or during it. But are there any other things that help prepare a business from a buyer's eyes um, in a really good light? Well, I think we touched on diversifying your channels. So are you at a point in your business where you know, you're successful on Amazon and you have the bandwidth to try Shopify or grow on another channel um, and put some resources there because it really will improve your valuation if you're able to do it successfully and you have the resources to do that. Also thinking about you know, building up your email list and your social media following and really spending time building out the social media channels as well. I would add, add to that too. Um, if you have the time, like, you know, we talk about, you know, Shopify and, and, and yes, it would, you know, Shopify is an example, WooCommerce, whatever, just some, something, uh, your own website, you know what I mean? Because a lot of people come to us and say like, oh, this Amazon and my customers, my customers, my customers. Well, they're not really your customers, they're Amazon's customers. So when you get somebody other than an aggregator outside of the other buyer universe, they want to see, they want access. They will pay more for access to customers and, but it has to be proven out. So yes, you know, if you've got the time now to focus on, on coming off of Amazon and getting onto being a bit more omni-channel, it needs to be proven out. No, it's not going to be immediate increase in value. There needs to be some some time there. You need to show here's when I started, here's what I've done, and looking backwards, like here's what we've we've built. But that is a, a big value add if you have the time, energy, and resources to do it. But it is a completely different animal, and it's scary for a lot of uh, Amazon people. But you know what? If you've hired somebody like Jeff to manage your Amazon, then fine. You know what I mean? Like like look where else you can um, grow the business. The other thing I would say is to get a bookkeeper who knows inventory-based businesses and knows e-commerce. Bonus points for that. Downloads from Seller Legend are only going to take you so far because most people, when they go to market, they've got their cogs are wrong. They there's ex, there's expenses in there. They, they were miscategorized, um, <clears throat> and their business a lot of times is either more or less profitable than they thought they thought it was. So I would say that, like, don't think you know your numbers, get a professional on board to help you get your expenses, um, you know, reconcile your books and get a good visual every month as detailed as possible. Because I always like to say that, like, whether you're looking to sell your business right now or not, a business that's prepared to receive investment on some level is just a well-run and efficient business. That's, I mean, and then you don't have to sum. It's obviously it's your cash producing asset. You can do whatever you want with it. You can keep it forever. You can, you know, whatever you want to do with it. You don't have to sell it. But if it's ready for investment, that means it's been under the microscope. It's clean. You understand where the efficiencies are. You understand where every dollar goes in the business. And you just have those things at your fingertips. I think that's just going to put you in the best position possible. The sellers who have the most success with their exits have been able to do that and really get their books organized and understand the numbers. Yeah, and touching on uh, what you mentioned about proving out your 
your systems with email or your social media. So if you have an email list of 20,000, but you haven't emailed them in six months, or you're not getting any engagement when you, any results when you send an email, it doesn't really hold any value uh, for buyers. On the reverse side of that, Julie, too, though, to the owners that do have a somewhat active or very active email list and or social following, this is another great opportunity to double down on, you know, cross promotions or, you know, more creative email marketing campaigns, maybe renegotiating any terms you have with influencers, maybe widening your influencer or affiliate pool. So like, that's also what we talk about cutting necessary expenses, but then where are the ways that, you know, more budget friendly, if you already have that foundation that you can be, be really creative and hit your audience more than maybe you were before. Another boring part of it is also take the time to build the SOPs and the templates as clean and as clear you can make your business in this time. It's just one going to be so helpful for you to have true insight and be able to pass it on and maybe take, you know, less time focusing on your business outside of this, but also for a buyer, um, it's really helpful to have all of that so they can just take it and run and that's going to be really valuable and they'll pay more for that. No, I agree. Those are all amazing tips. And we see a lot of our clients doing that, but no, no one can do all those things at once. Yeah, you guys are right. It's like, mm -hmm. choose, choose which one is the, that will make the biggest impact for you. Right. Or talking to a company like yours, if some, if you're thinking about selling your business in the next couple of years, it's probably best to start the conversation with a company like yours now, because they'll, they'll tell you what's wrong and why it's not quite ready to sell. Right. I had that experience, you know, when I was ready to, well, hoping to sell. I wasn't ready to sell. They told me what to fix. And, uh, and, and then you go back and then it's worth a whole lot more, you know, in six to 12 months. So that's one thing you can do. You mentioned external audience and assets. Yeah. A lot of our clients, they have those things, but it's different for every client. So we work with their assets. So if they've got a big email list or they've got a big TikTok following, or they've got a big influencer, we basically customize their, their strategies for how to leverage that over to Amazon from time to time um, and tap into that because it often goes, like you said, un totally untapped. Um, another thing that we've doing with our clients the last couple of months, because everyone's talking about inflation, the rising costs. And I know it's tough, but one thing that we're doing is a lot of our clients were raising their prices, um, you know, a few percent to start out and then, you know, it can increase from there. And that's really helped them because a lot of, consumers, I think we're, we're just now being conditioned and used to it, right? What we're seeing the gas prices at the pump, uh, grocery store prices are, are increased. So people are used to seeing uh, increases in prices. So a lot, a lot of people are scared to, to test that, but I would say test it with at least one product in your catalog, mm -hmm. just raise the price a little bit. And, and then, you know, watch what happens in the next two weeks, you know, actually it's like a, run it like a split test and see how did it affect your conversion rate? How did it affect your sales and your profitability? Uh, it, it typically doesn't have as big of an impact as you think, and that might actually help uh, and be a net positive. And then if so, you can roll that out to your whole catalog and boom, you just increase your profit margins by 3%, 5%, you know, and that can make a really, really uh, big difference. Um, I was yeah. thinking like people like, like that might take a hit on revenue, but then your profitability goes up and yeah. profitability is what makes your business way more attractive than than just sheer revenue numbers. Like, you know, you get all these like beginner Amazon courses and like, I'll teach you how to do million dollars in revenue, you know, within six months. And it's like, well, a million dollars in revenue is not a million dollars in profit. Right. That's, you know what I mean? So there's a huge difference there. You can do a million dollars. We've had $10 million companies come to us that aren't profitable, if you can believe it, right? Like they just, wow. it's, it's, it's amazing. But yeah, I mean, I like it. It's, uh, that's awesome that you have like a full, full board sort of service because, you know, th there's often that saying, it's like you work in the business or you work on the business. And then like guys like Roland Fraser take it a bit more and say, and then you work above the business. Mm -hmm. And this is where you can put, you know, put the right people on the right seats on the bus to drive your brand. And I think, yeah, but even if you test pricing up a couple of percent, like you're like, yeah, hey, people expect it. But me as a consumer, and I don't know if you guys can speak to this too, but if somebody has a solid review moat, I will buy based on reviews more than I will on price, especially if the difference is like five, five dollars or whatever, right? Like if I'm buying a widget and one is $24.99 and the other one's $29.99, but the $29.99 one has 3000 reviews and the other one has 200 reviews, I'm just going to buy the more expensive one because it's not that much more of a stretch. And I was already in buy mode anyway. 
Um, but you're right. At least if, even if a few less people buy it, your profitability is, has gone up. Your margins are more secure. Yeah. Customer reviews on Amazon is, is that they're harder to get now than they were years ago, but yeah, that's Legally. why we always, we, we always, <laughs> we always audit our clients review generation methods and try to make sure they have at least four or five at a minimum of uh, different methods that they're using for all, all their SKUs to, to try to get to the thousands of reviews where, where that's when you're pretty well protected and, and have that moat around your business. We have had clients before that have done some fairly gray and black hat tactics in the past. And just to be clear, like that does not make somebody's business unsellable. But A, you have to disclose it, and B, you have to be far enough removed from it so that, you know, you can show that the sales or whatever didn't tank immediately when you stopped doing those things. But yeah. It is a good point to be upfront about it and especially tell your advisors so we know how to prepare the buyers and let them know about it because it will be found during diligence. So you always want to be upfront about that. And some buyers, it may eliminate a few buyers, um, but there are buyers who understand that that was a a way of the past and you know they can they can see beyond that there was uh dean jackson at the beginning of the pandemic i love this but at the, he had a scary times podcast and uh, our series mini series i guess and one of the things that resonated with me was don't let the pandemic be a missed opportunity and now i'm just like don't let the blank be a missed opportunity it's like fill something in okay yeah the market's tipping Things are slowing down. People are recalibrating, but are buyers still buying? Yes. Are people still growing businesses? Yes. Are people still profitable and successful? Yes. So figure out what you can do and don't let this turn in the market be a missed opportunity. So when it does turn back, which it, history will tell us that it will, then you know what? you're, you're going to be bigger and better. But I'm wondering if clients are coming to you now being like, I need to control my ad spend. I need to like peel back my numbers. I need to like pay you less. I can't afford to do this anymore like are they freaked out on some level and what what message are you giving them yeah we, we've definitely have you know been able to sense a little bit more fear from where they're coming from of like uh oh i'm worried like can you take a look and see like are we missing any money or that they're using a different agency or different software or whatever and they're starting to look at the numbers and they're realizing that they're not as profitable as they thought and so they're you know asking us to take a look so that's definitely becoming a bit more more common but you know it's it's all over the place some people just know hey like i, I want to be able to grow through this this next phase and do it the right way and uh so it, it's all over the board um so we, we see a little bit of everything do they have a plan in mind that you know they want to grow for the next three years and then they plan to exit or most of them just want to build a forever business or i would say most they already have the plans that they want to sell the business eventually. Um, some actually, one, one came to us, you know, they had a successful business. They're already doing, you know, I think over a hundred K a month then, but they wanted to sell the business. They were advised, Hey, like, you know, you, the owner by managing your own Amazon ads and, and managing everything yourself. If you sell the business right now, like, yeah, you could sell it for a lot of money high multiple, but you're going to need to stay on with the business for a long time um, and have a long earnout period. And uh, he was really against that. He wanted out, he wanted to cash out and, you know, go on his vacation. And, um, and so he was advised to, to put the team in place. And one of the easiest ways to, to find a team is just to hire an agency where we've got the whole team. We've got multiple mm -hmm. team members immediately assigned to your account. So he actually hired us with that in mind. So brought us on, we actually helped improve their ads profitability and, and grow their overall sales. And now he's in, uh, in escrow and closing and, and he's about to successfully close the business. The buyer who is, who bought, who is buying the business, he was actually attracted that, Hey, you've already got like, an agency in place for Amazon and these pieces. And you've got someone doing this for Facebook. Okay, great. And that was an attractive. So he, the, the buyer is planning to keep us on. Uh, through the transition afterwards. And so it's oftentimes that's the case. And then the other nice thing is, let's say that the buyer had their own internal team um, ready to manage Amazon and they had to let us go. That's fine too. You know, we've had that happen a couple of times before, but if that's what our client's goals are, then we'll, we, we properly transitioned it over the course of two months to the buyer's team and uh, agency that they were using. 
and that's okay. You know, we had a good ride with them and uh, everyone got, got their goals met. So it's a little bit different for everybody. I know that there's a, a lot of people that probably listened to that and were like, I don't want to hire an agency because they're expensive and it's going to cut into the profitability of my business. And I would like to say to remind them that it's already cutting into the profitability of your business in the form of your time. And if you have limited expertise, you're actually doing your business a disservice by not having the right people in the right seats on the bus, driving the brand forward. And you know, a lot of times like, well, I work 60 hours a week in my business. Every entrepreneur does I'm like, yeah. Okay. But there does come a point where you need to understand what your limitations are and understand, you know, the value that somebody brings. And if you were thinking like, oh, I'm going to hire an agency and that's going to take, you know, so many thousands of dollars a month off my bottom line, a buyer is going to do that anyway, because when you sell a business, they're not buying you. So if you're putting in all of that time and they need to replace that with an agency, then they're going to have to budget for it anyway. So don't think of it like that. Think of the positives and the value that hiring an agency can do, uh, putting the right experts in the right positions and an agency has all of those seats already filled. So you don't have to go out and get, you know, 12 VAs to do all these individual tasks. You can hire an agency. It's all in house. And yeah, you pick the right one, then it just takes a lot of stuff off your plate and you can go and like Roland Fraser likes to say, work above the business and really look at it under the microscope and understand the efficiencies of where the, the, the best paths of growth are. No, for sure. And, you know, a good agency should pay for itself within three or four months. Like you'll know within three or four months, whether it's the right fit for you and whether it's worth it or not. And if, 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 for example, if we're not paying for ourselves, um, you know, in that time, then it doesn't make sense. Then, then you cut it. And it was a three-month test, a four-month test, and then mm. it's okay, right? Because it takes a long time to sell your business, anyways. You're probably going to sell your business in the next four months. So why not try that? It could change your your life, free up your time, grow your business, pay for itself profitably, and then make you a whole lot more attractive to a potential buyer. And if a buyer really doesn't like it that the, you know, the agency was there, it can be an ad back, right? It back into their PL because they have, you know, you can tell them, okay, if you're not going to keep the agency on, then we need to add back in the agency cost because you're not going to have to incur that cost anymore. Mm-hmm. And they need to put a lower cost if they have it, you know, whatever, an in-house team. Um, but some agencies like ours, like we have performance-based pricing. So, you know, we, we don't get paid a, a lot of money um, up, up front um, in order to, to do that each month. But if we perform really well, then yeah, like a commission component kicks in. If we if we grow you very significantly in a good way, that's a win win for everybody. So yeah. it depends. It depends, you know, what the pricing was that uh, that you get. A good agency should pay for itself. I love it. That's that's what I that's what I like to tell people about working with us as a broker. Right. <laughs> everybody yeah. focus. Everybody focuses on the wrong thing. The you know, first question is how much is your commission. Well, how much would it be worth for you if I charged you $250,000 to get a million dollars more in deal value? Because that's what I can negotiate for you. It's like, well, does that make it worth it? You know what I mean? So like if if we make our, a good broker should make their fee nothing more than a rounding error. And, you know, same kind of thing with an agency. If you find yourself, you know, we're all on your team. We don't get paid unless you get paid. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's, you know, we're all part of the, the, your, your, your deal team, your business team to, to make it successful. And that's, that's what I've always found with the problems of dealing with, with VAs over an agency is virtual assistants don't really have the best interests of your business at their core. They've got 10 clients, they get paid an hourly, whatever you go with an agency that has a performance space like yours, Jeff, it's like your whole team is, you know, dep- you know, like they they have a vested interest in increasing the value of your business monthly. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, the communication within an agency, you're already talking amongst each other and the communication is already built there, that foundation amongst like your whole team versus a bunch of individual VAs having then to either communicate or, you know, be reflective of that. It's, it's a no brainer, especially from a buy side of, you know, the transferability of that versus having to train eight or nine people, different time zones, different coasts, and then having an agency that you know, mm. communicates effectively. Inside. Just keep paying these guys and the business will just have an ownership change at the top and everybody will just, uh, everything will continue to run smoothly. Yeah. 
can you and Julie talk about briefly um, our process and why it's kind of unique in this in this market? Yeah, so so our process, I mean, it's it's, it's unique to us, but I, I wouldn't say it's it's rare. We've basically looked at you know where do billion dollar businesses how do they transact? What is that process? And can we apply it to to e-commerce? So it's usually not seen outside of like investment banks and big transactions, but we basically applied it to e-commerce and I think it works extremely well with not only just finding a buyer, but finding the right buyer and finding the right buyer to pay a premium for a good brand. So the typical process usually runs like you find a broker, you agree on a list price based on fairly little information. They help you put together a listing. They send it out to as many people as possible and you wait and you see who comes by and you talk to a few people and you don't know how long it's going to be or, or whatever. The process that we run, we prepare the business for sale ahead of time. We talked a little bit about this before that people like are mentally ready to sell their business and they feel like maybe there, there's a buyer out there that'll pay a good price. But if the business isn't ready to be sold, there's going to be a big problem and it's going to be found and it's going to interrupt or kill the deal altogether. So prepare the business for sale ahead of time is what we do with our clients. We curate and build a custom buyer list. It's one thing to blast it out to a list of 5,000 buyers, but if the right buyer is not on that list, then it doesn't matter. So who's active in this space? Let's do some research. Let's find out who would have a need for this specific brand um, strategically. Either it's, you know, it, it, it makes sense for this acquisition. So let's put that list together and prepare marketing materials that speak to them specifically with some market and industry research and all of that and push the deal to the right buyer at the right time. So this involves no list price. I wanna be very like clear on that. I'm a broker, I'm not a buyer. I'm not buying the business. So how much I would be willing to pay for it doesn't really matter. So let's get feedback from the people that can actually write the check and go to them and find out what the value is and the feedback as to why they think that way. And give them a time limit. There's a timed bid process. Usually it's around 21 days, sometimes a bit shorter, uh, depending on the brand and who we're going to. But let's say it's three weeks, you come to us with your best price and deal terms within three weeks. And that way at the end of 21 days, we have a client that's got multiple bids with feedback from the market. And then we can negotiate because we've got leverage now. We've got multiple people interested in the same brand and we can pull strings and we can push where we need to, to get the buyers as uncomfortable as possible and pay the most money. Like Jeff said, we don't just blast it out to everyone. I think that's really important. And then we have that pressure cooker environment in that preview window where they're looking at the business, they have to get their bids in. And once the, the offers come in, we don't just stop there. We really negotiate hard and go back to each group. And in many cases, we've been able to raise the, the valuation significantly. Um, in one deal, for instance, we raised it from, I think, a $9 million deal to a $15 million deal um, with, through those negotiations. So um, that's something that Jeff and I love negotiating and we love to do that on behalf of our clients. So that, that's, a, that's a fun example sometimes when you say people like, oh, $550,000 in commission. It's like in a vacuum, that sounds like a lot, but that $500,000 bought them $6 million more in deal value. So I would trade 500K for 6 million any day of the week. And don't be fooled with what you hear with the aggregators. They came and they might go as, as quickly as they came, but the ocean of buyers in the world is very deep. I would take that. That sounds like a pretty good ROI to me. <laughs> <laughs> and they did, and they're very happy with it. So yeah, yeah. What I love about both sides of, of the companies here, FBA Broker and Turnkey, is you can already tell that both companies are very much driven by the seller's side first and foremost. With the performance base, how can it be a better outcome for it? The seller for the business owner that seems to be like where the foundation of both of these companies is rooted from and i think yeah. that's really powerful and it speaks to both the founders and the teams that have been built we're here to serve and you know help all these business owners that's kind of the, the driving factor here that's another benefit with working with us uh, when you go to market as opposed to just a listing service or a marketplace is that we do protect our sellers information and we decide when to release additional information after thoroughly vetting each buyer. Um, so your information and your all your SOPs and your your IP, everything is protected. So you don't have to release anything about your business to you know 
the hundreds or thousands of people that are maybe just fishing for answers about how you mm -hmm. run your business so they can improve their own business. Um, we're very careful about that. Let's talk about, um, Jeff, if you want to start with turnkey first, I'd love to kind of, as we end this podcast episode, who is it that we serve? We'd love to help every business owner in the world that we could, but I'm sure with our process, we work best with a certain threshold. And I know that with you guys handling everything, who is, who are your services for? And maybe elaborate on, you already did a little bit, but your services, what you cover and all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. Thanks. So basically, um, most physical product brands that are already up and selling, if you're doing say over 10, 20 K a month overall in your business on in all channels, that's kind of a threshold that you've proven. Okay. You, you must have at least a good product, right? A decent product. And you have, you know, now it's time to put uh, fuel on the fire. So that's, that's like the minimum threshold where it probably makes sense to at least have a conversation. Uh, but most of our clients, you know, they'll, they'll they might be at 50 K or hundred K or 200 K a month already. Uh, overall on, on all channels, but it just varies. It depends. But if you have a great product, if you're building a brand um, and uh, th th those are the clients that we can help scale. So we have a couple different ways. We have full service done for you management where we'll do everything and take all of Amazon off of your plate and uh, dial that in for you and scale it profitably. Um, we also just have Amazon PPC and DSP advertising as like the carve out service because that is just such a critical piece of the business. And then we also have a, a coaching slash consulting piece where if you want to learn that in-house with your team and we can train your team um, in order to, uh, you know, to be managing that, that, that's another option too. And some of our clients, they like to start with full service and then they, you know, we, we take it back and, and transition it back to their team so that it's a little bit cheaper for them in the long run. So we, we meet the client's goals wherever they're at. And uh, yeah, we're happy to always basically hop on a, on a free call with, uh, with clients to, to really dive into their business and see if it's a good fit. It's not a great fit for all businesses. So we'll let you know if it's not a good fit and try to give you some advice, um, you know, if it's not a good fit, but uh, yeah, that, that's a little bit about sort of what, what we do over at, uh, at Turnkey. That done for you sounds like a dream. <laughs> Just handle it all, please. Uh, Jeff and Julie, do you want to comment on our threshold and, and what our process works best for you? We're a boutique firm. You know, we have a, um, a small team that we uh, dedicate to to the clients that we bring on, um, but we need to be selective because we bring one deal to market at a time. And so our process is not a fit for everyone. We're not in the volume game. We're not a listing agency. We're not a marketplace like, like, uh, like Julie mentioned. So we're very like hands-on, um, all-in kind of thing right so uh, typically uh, sellers come to us when they are getting you know like around a million in EBITDA or SDE like for net profit if you will uh, and up um, not a deal breaker by any stretch I mean that's just kind of where we see our process being the best fit for um, but I mean like with anything else a lot of it's category dependent and product dependent and all that kind of stuff so I'm pretty happy to talk to whoever. <laughs> if you're just curious about what the sale process is like, if you just kind of want to have uh, a candid conversation about, about you know, what buyers generally like to see when they see a business come to market, that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm always happy to chat whether our, uh, our services is the best fit or not. It's good to talk to people early if they're thinking about selling maybe a year down the road and they're not quite there. Um, we can take a look and, and give them some pointers and, and see if they're on the right track and it's always good to, to be better prepared. Yeah, speaking to a broker does not commit you to selling your business. We've been talking to people for like two years sometimes before they actually exit their business. And, you know, the initial call is is kind of like, let's let's take a look at your business and like see how investors will look at it. Mm -hmm. Find if there's some red flags there. Okay, well, that's great. Now we know what they are and what to do about them. So let's work on that. We'll check in every few months and, and get some updates. And, and yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a ride. It's an exit plan. It's a process. We'll be very honest with you about what needs to be worked on and maybe the timing isn't right right now to go to market. You know, is the market ready for your business? Are you ready to sell your business? And is the brand ready? Yeah, maybe you need a turnkey for a few months for another year or for the exit. So, you know, we'll help you with any resources you need um, in between as well. That's a perfect segue. Let's end with uh, just where we can find everybody, what the next step would be. Jeff, do you want to start with turnkey where they can find you and the next step would be? I just want to say like I've known known you guys and known Corin for years and just 
uh, I could I could vouch that you know you guys do things the right way and uh, you know they do care about their clients and they're selective with their clients too. So it's like, what's the harm in booking a call to learn? You know, you're going to learn something about your business, probably improves the value and the chances of selling whether you go with them or not. So, anyways, I just want to say that they're good people and uh, you know you'll be in good hands. Um, but yeah, for us. Um, what we did is we built a little page. Uh, if you go over to turnkeyproductmanagement.com slash broker, uh, we basically put all of our best free resources on there. You can book a free Amazon call uh, with us and we put all of our top resources um, that we can give you guys for free. Uh, our training on how to grow to over seven figures on Amazon, uh, a detailed Amazon product listing checklist. You can grade your own listing uh, A through F. Uh, you can get a revenue analysis for uh, your competitors and see the disparity uh, between you and your co competition. Um, and then we're even going to give away uh, one person who, you know, we'll, we'll randomly choose someone who uh, registers for all that. We'll, we'll give you all that stuff plus more. We'll, we'll actually overhaul one of your product listings on Amazon completely for free. We'll make infographics for you, uh, do keyword research, and we'll overhaul your listing and see how much we can boost your sales uh, completely for free. Um, so yeah, just head over to turnkeyproductmanagement.com slash broker and, uh, you know, if it's the right fit, we'll help you. And if not, I'm sure you'll, you'll walk away with some value. So thank you. Yeah. Don't walk run <laughs> to that page because <laughs> there's a lot of value packed in there. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Jeff and Julie, what about you next steps and where they can reach you? Julie and I and Marissa and the team, we share, uh, um, fairly generic sounding, uh, email address, but the best way to reach us is sales at the fbabroker.com. Um, and that way either Marissa or Julie or myself could get back to you, uh, quickly, but yeah, book a call. I mean, if you're not at a million in SDE, um, you know, let's talk about how you can get there. If you're not quite ready for a sale yet, let's talk about how you can get there. Um, if you've just started, let's talk about the things you can do to put yourself in a position for a, for a, for a premium exit down the line. Um, but yeah, happy to chat sales at the fbabroker.com. And I think that that'll reach sort of either of us and, and people we can get back to you quickly there. And our website is, uh, the fbabroker.com too. There's a lot of great videos, resources there too, and links to book a call with Jeff Julie. Um, so wherever is easiest to find us, um, go ahead and make that call. Thank you guys so much for your time and expertise today. This was awesome. If the people listening and or watching take anything away, hopefully you understand that there is a lot of opportunity in this down market and there are so many ways that you can optimize and thrive out of this and you could have a very lucrative high market share business after this. So just stay strong and do the things that you need to do to get out of this. You know where to reach us. This video and um, audio will be on all streaming services for the podcast. Um, on our YouTube, on our website. If you join our email list, you can't miss it. And now on Turnkey. So um, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you all. And we'll see you next time.